From the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, I'm your host, AANP President April Kapu, and this is NP Pulse, the voice of the nurse practitioner. Welcome to NP Pulse, AANP's official podcast, bringing you unique nurse practitioner voices and expertise on issues that matter to NPs and our patients. Today, we're joined by family nurse practitioner, Dr. Laurel Short, as we explore a condition that affects millions of patients annually, migraine. We'll learn how Laurel became interested in treating patients with chronic headaches and migraine. She'll discuss the prevalence of migraine among specific patient populations, explain how she assesses patients for migraines, and discuss the importance of a treatment plan that includes preventative care and acute care. We'll also discuss migraine-specific treatments, including calcitonin gene-related peptide antagonist. Welcome to NP Pulse, Laurel. It is so nice to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, April. I'm so excited to be here. Well, you know, we have known each other for a while and got to talking, and it's just so fascinating what you have been doing in your career and how you're impacting so many patients. I'd love for you to share a little bit more about your background and, you know, why did you become an NP and why are you doing what you are doing today? Just so fascinating. Please share. Thank you so much. I've actually been interested in nursing and advanced practice nursing for a long time. I even knew when I was in high school that I was interested in going into that field and had a really great shadowing experience with a nurse practitioner when I was a senior in high school. So I knew that was kind of the path I wanted to take after nursing school. I worked in pediatrics for a little while after I finished my bachelor's and I'm from the Kansas City area, so I had gone away for my undergraduate, came back to Kansas City, and I finished my master's degree in 2010, so I've been a nurse practitioner for going on 13 years. When I was in my family nurse practitioner program, I kind of stumbled across a specialty that I wasn't aware of, physical medicine and rehabilitation. So that's what I went into after school. I really felt drawn to that area. That's an area that works with patients who have both neurologic and orthopedic conditions, and I helped with coordination of care for a lot of those patients. So whether it was someone who had chronic pain or had a spinal cord injury or an amputation, the theme of that specialty is always about meeting the patient's functional needs. So I did a lot of coordinating of care and, and working with those patients. And when I was working with patients who had neurologic conditions, one of the areas I became very drawn to was headache and migraine. And so that's what you and I were talking about when we kind of uh, bumped into each other was um, the the specialty that I've developed with headache and migraine. And on a personal level, my father has struggled with migraine throughout his life. And so growing up, watching someone be very affected by that, how it impacts quality of life, I just kind of organically started working with those patients more. So fast forward, that was about a decade that I worked in that wonderful specialty. 
And then during the pandemic, I think for a lot of us, it was a time to reflect and say, you know, what do I want my new normal to be as we come out of this challenging season of COVID-19? And I literally had kind of this aha moment um, when I was on a bike ride of how amazing it would be to blend what I had learned in specialty practice with getting back to my roots in primary care. And so I had an, a wonderful opportunity about a year and a half ago. I joined a private family practice here in Kansas City, and I'm practicing family practice, primary care, and also have a headache clinic where I help patients who have chronic migraine and serve as a primary care provider for those with disabilities such as spinal cord injury. Okay, well, you've had some very pivotal moments in your career, so it sounds like early on, you were able to shadow, you had a mentor, and that got you very interested in nursing. And then it was interesting that you said you had a bike ride and kind of had a, an epiphany. Um, this is, uh, those, those moments can be so uh, pivotal and, and, and change your entire career. And I particularly um, was drawn to your story about your father and having uh, migraines. So today, could we talk a little bit more about migraines? What are they? How prevalent are they? Is, does it impact a certain demographic? Please tell us more about migraines in general. Yeah, and I think the good news is awareness about the condition of migraine has been improving in, in recent years. And I remember back to even when I was in nursing school, which wasn't that long ago, um, that there was still kind of a, a mystery around it of really what's causing it, what's going on in the brain, and there weren't a lot of medications to be offered to patients. And I experienced that again, watching my dad try to explain this to doctors throughout his life, and it wasn't until he was an older adult that he finally got some answers and medications that worked for him. So we know that migraine is one of the most common neurologic conditions, and about 47 million people in the United States suffer from migraine, one in five women, one in 16 men, and one in 11 children. So it's, it's very common. And of all those patients who have migraine, about 7% of those develop a condition that we call chronic migraine, which is where you're being affected more than half of every month with having headache and migraine symptoms. Wow, yeah. wow. Okay, so a little bit more prevalent in women. And, and then did you say there's a specific age group or? Yeah, so we know that migraine is three times more common in women than men, and we don't understand all those factors, but clearly there has to be some sort of hormonal component to that, right? Um, and often uh, folks who have migraine will start to experience headaches even in childhood. There's a condition called cyclic vomiting or abdominal migraine. So you might have young children who are having these GI symptoms and not having the classic head pain that we associate with migraine. That can happen in kiddos. And then uh, really the prime time for a migraine to onset is teenagers and young adults. That's where we often see these more classic migraines coming about. And then a pattern that I see in my practice and a lot of headache specialists see that through the 20s and 30s, the severity and the frequency may really start to uptick. Um, so it's these young and middle-aged adults that are very affected. And for some people, uh, their headaches actually improve as they become older adults, but that's not for everybody. So we can't assume that they will uh, recover from, from the condition. It's something that can last throughout your whole life. Uh, but interestingly, something I really like to point out is it's a spectrum. So if someone is having what we call episodic migraine, maybe four times a year when they're 25 years old, it could stay like that. 
or it could progress to where they're having many migraine attacks per month as, as they age. And then we can help get back to that other end of the spectrum. I often will use the analogy of asthma, right? Okay. So someone can have very controlled asthma, mm-hmm. um, and then the, the asthma can be uncontrolled where they're having attacks all the time, and then and we can help get them back down to where it's more controlled. And we can do the same thing for migraine patients, and we can apply a lot of those same principles of chronic disease management. Okay. So, well, how do you assess for a migraine? So tell me, like, what's the classic... Um, a patient comes in, They, how do you assess as a nurse practitioner for, for migraine? That's a fantastic question. And I really feel like nurse practitioners are in such an excellent position to help address unmet needs for migraine patients because we know many, many of these patients go undiagnosed. And there's actually been some studies on chart reviews where if you look for the diagnosis of tension headache, which was a very common diagnosis for a long time, and you reflect upon you know, the symptoms and the criteria those patients met, over 90% of patients with a diagnosis of tension headache actually meet criteria for migraine. So a key point that I like NPs and other providers to remember is if a patient brings up a headache to you, a chief complaint of headache, most likely it's migraine. And we just have to remember a few key questions to ask these patients. Uh, But number one is let's assess for it. So when I'm doing my review of systems, especially in a younger patient who doesn't have a lot of medical history, I say, you know, from head to toe, what do you have going on? Are you someone who experiences headaches, heartburn, you know, other common conditions? And often a patient will say, well, yeah, I get headaches, you know, but I've never really talked to anybody about it. So number one is ask, are they someone who experiences headache? Because I often find patients who are experiencing headache for many years, it turns out it's actually migraine, and they didn't know that we now have migraine-specific treatments that can really change their life. Um, So number two after asking is let's have some key questions and ways of asking these questions that make it easier for us to help these patients because I know how it is. I'm in family practice. We don't always have um, really long appointments with our patients. And so um, you want to ask about what the headaches feel like how often they're having the headaches and how it affects their life. And remember that patients who have headache and migraine often tend to be very stoic about their symptoms. And so, you know, April, if you're someone who gets migraines and I say, tell me how many migraines you get per month, April, your initial reaction is going to be to just tell me about your very worst headaches. You're not gonna tell me about other more mild headache days. And so I want to specifically say, I really want to know about all the days that you're affected by this. And a super easy way to kind of get to the heart of it is to flip the question around. If it's someone who's getting quite a few headaches, instead of saying how many headaches per month, ask how many days are you pain-free? And how many Mm -hmm. days are you truly crystal clear from the neck up? Because often patients with migraine are having days of what we call prodrome. So that's the first phase of migraine where they're just kind of not feeling well. They may have neck tightness their appetite may be off, they're kind of light sensitive, and that's before the head pain even starts. And then the headache phase, that's what we all think of with classic migraine, that's when you're light sensitive and sound sensitive um, and have that terrible throbbing head pain. And then the last phase is postrome, and some patients don't even know there's a name for this, but they'll say, it's like I have a hangover. That's still part of the migraine. They're still kind of coming off that migraine attack. And so that's why it's really important to say how many days Are you truly crystal clear from the neck up? And for someone with chronic migraine, that may only be five days per month. 
And when you really just learn how to ask these simple questions in a different way, patients just feel immense relief that someone's listening to them, empowering them that there's a name for this condition and that we have more specific treatments for it. Hey, so two very important questions. Now, is the next question what uh, makes it worse? What makes it better? Absolutely. Absolutely. So some patients have very specific triggers, and many of them are are kind of common knowledge, maybe certain foods, uh, pressure changes. You know, I live in the Midwest, so often in the fall and the spring, patients will talk to me about weather changes triggering their headaches. Um, sleep changes. So I always tell patients, you know, we want to control what we can control, right? And so um, they often have figured out on their own if they go too long without eating, if they don't have sleep, good sleep for a few days in a row, etc. But other patients may not know what their triggers are, and that's okay. So it's a good conversation to have, but know that not every patient has triggers that they're going to be able to tell you. Uh, Certainly in women, their menstrual cycle can often be a big trigger as well. Um, Something easy that listeners could look up or remember is a simple migraine screener called the ID3, and this has been tested and validated. And this simply means that we can ask patients if they've had um, headaches within the last three months that limit their activity. And so really what we're getting at at, uh, with that question is, when you have this headache and you do physical activity, does the headache get, get worse? So do you, have you had headaches in the last three months that, that limit your physical activity? And when you have that headache, are you light sensitive or nauseated or sound sensitive? And if you answer yes to two out of three of those questions, so they don't have to have all of them, but at two out of three, it's a very high probability that it's a migraine and not another type of headache. So the ID3 is a quick screener that you could look up and use in your practice. Um, And then something else I would encourage folks to look up is the SNOOP mnemonic, um, S-N-O-O-P. And that is helping us identify red flags. And so a lot of times when I'm teaching about migraine, I'll get the question of like, well, I don't, you know, how do I know when to order an MRI? Or I don't want to be missing, you know, a a primary cause uh, or a secondary cause rather. Primary is when there isn't that underlying cause. and nobody wants to miss a secondary cause, right? So just look for those red flags, look up the SNOOP mnemonic, and that is things like, you know, is it really positional? Do they have systemic symptoms? Is this, you know, an abrupt onset of headache in someone over age 50? Okay. And so those are, you know, simple things that you can include as well. Okay. So let's just say we've done this thorough assessment. We've really explored. Um, it's very personal. It's very individualized, it sounds like. And we better understand what's happening with this particular patient. Um, How do you begin to make the diagnosis and what your treatment plan is going to be? Absolutely, so that's our next step, right? So we've we've confirmed a a diagnosis of, of migraine if they have, you know, if they meet criteria for that. And the way I explain it to patients is really the true difference between headache and migraine is when with a migraine, you have other types of associated symptoms, you have nausea or light sensitivity or sound sensitivity, some patients are dizzy, um, et cetera. But also someone with migraine can have other types of headaches. So I think of it like if if any of their headaches that they have in a month are migraine, that's my primary diagnosis because okay. they have migraine headache. But other days they might have symptoms that are, they might have episodes that they call headache then they often are gonna try to tell you about five different types of headaches they get, and that's fine. It doesn't have to feel the same 
every time, but it's the same process, you know, pathophysiology that's happening in the brain that's causing them to have the spectrum of, of types of headaches. Um, so if we've diagnosed them with migraine, what we can tell patients is the great news is we have a lot more options than we used to when it comes to tools in our toolkit. So I often tell patients, you know, it's like a toolkit. We're going to put together individualized plan for you and we have a menu. So I'll tell patients we have a menu of options to choose from. And something key I would like folks to remember is that we need to be offering both preventive and acute options. And I will, you know, relatively often meet patients who have been offered a rescue medication, such as a triptan, but they've never been offered preventive therapy. And if someone is being affected, you know, with four episodes per month or and again, this has to be individualized, right? Because what if they're having one migraine a month, but it's lasting for three days? Well, that might you know, be three days too many for that patient. And so it's not black and white on when to offer preventive care, but the bottom line is there's so many patients who are not even offered that option. And so we should have that discussion with them. But if you want a simple rule of thumb, you know, if they're having at least one migraine attack per week, then that's a good time to at least have the discussion about preventive options with them and, and go over what those options are. And what, so what are some examples of preventive options? Perfect. So many listeners are familiar with some of our quote older options that are not migraine specific. And I'll even, you know, have kind of a chart that I pull out for patients or just make notes on a blank piece of paper for them so that they can kind of feel more organized about this menu of options we're discussing. And our older options are not migraine specific, right? So those are your anti-seizure medicines, your antidepressants like tricyclic antidepressants and things like beta blockers. So none of those were developed for migraine. Now certainly many patients have gotten relief with those, right? But they're not migraine specific. And so those are still good starting points to discuss with patients. And sometimes you can do two birds with one stone, right? Okay. If they have trouble sleeping, maybe we're gonna choose a tricyclic antidepressant. Or if there's someone who has a lot of anxiety, using a beta blocker a couple times a day might help with anxiety and with headaches. So they could still be um, good options for some patients. But say they have already tried some of those or they're not a good candidate because of side effect profile, then we can move into some of our newer medications um, like CGRP antagonist therapy. Are you familiar with some of those, April? Have you heard no, about please, that type of medication? Mm -hmm. So CGRP stands for calcitonin gene-related peptide. And we have known for a few decades now actually that CGRP is one of the main neurotransmitters that causes migraine. So even back in the 1970s, this was identified with some research showing that if you measure, take a blood sample of an individual when they're having a migraine, their level of CGRP in their blood is high. Okay. And when the migraine is over, their level goes back down. Okay, so is that a correlation or is that, you know, what does that mean? So some more research was done where you can actually give someone an infusion of CGRP. And let's say you experience migraine, but I don't. If we give you a CGRP infusion, it will elicit a migraine attack in you. And if you give it to me as a non-migraine sufferer, I will not get a migraine. So now we have that information. But how do we then target CGRP? That's been this question for many years is can we develop medications to block or antagonize CGRP? And that's where we've gotten to 
um, two specific types of medications that I'll, I'll briefly review, and they're called CGRP antagonists. So they block CGRP, and it's a more focused therapy that was specifically developed for migraines. So again, if you're my patient, I can say, April, you know, this is the first time we have medication that from start to finish was designed, you know, developed and tested specific to migraine, and that's what it's FDA approved for. Mm -hmm. So within that, and it can get a little bit uh, confusing for patients, so I try to explain that we have different routes of administration. We have um, four options that are injectable, or one is an infusion that you get every three months. The injectable ones, um, most people have heard about now, we call them uh, MAB for short, or monoclonal antibodies. And these are three different once a month injections. There's three different brands. Uh, the generics are a little bit of a mouthful. Arenumab, Fremenezumab, and Galcanezumab. These are all once a month injections. The patient does it at home and they have a, uh, they're large molecules. So they have a long half-life. So they last about one month. And these medications are specifically blocking or antagonizing CGRP. And many patients have a very, very good response um, they may have a little bit of wear-off effect the last few days of the month, and then they give their next injection. They do have to be refrigerated, but otherwise they're very simple to use. They're auto-injectors, and they, they start to work fairly quickly, but patients do need to be on them for a few months to see the full effect if we look at the clinical trials. And the last one in that category is eptinezumab, or Viepti is the brand name, and it works a very similar way, but it's an infusion that you do every 12 weeks, so the patient does need to go to an infusion center for that medication. Okay, now are there side effects to this? So tell us about that. Good question. Um, one important thing to keep in mind if you're going to prescribe these medications is they haven't been studied in pregnancy okay. at all. So if you have, and let's get back to our patient population, right? So these are often women of childbearing age that are suffering from migraine. And so if I have a patient who is thinking about getting pregnant, I may look at a different option for that patient um, just because we, we know they have a long half-life and ideally the headache guidelines tell us a patient should be off this medication for a few months before becoming pregnant. But in reality, most people can't plan that far in advance. Um, so um, I would feel safe, you know, if, it, if they're on this and it's working well, to stop it as soon as they find out that they're okay. pregnant. Um, and, and we haven't had any adverse outcomes, but it has not been studied in pregnancy. So I, I would never recommend that someone start it, you know, if they're actively trying to get pregnant or if they know that they're pregnant, they would need to stop it. Um, other side effects that have been reported, um, there have been some cases of constipation, especially with arenumab, so there is a label on the medication for that, and high blood pressure as well has been reported, but it, you know, there may be other factors associated with that. So overall, they have um, a very good safety profile, um, and with, like, with any medication, I would always look and see what else they're on just to make sure there isn't going to be any drug interactions, but overall... Um, we, we see a good safety profile for these. Okay, well, this makes a lot of sense uh, versus just treating an acute episode when it occurs. So um, if let's say you have a patient that's on this therapy, um, can they have a breakthrough headache? And, and so how do you treat the acute episode? Excellent. So that, that kind of teased me up really well for we actually have some small molecule medications that also target CGRP we can talk about. But to first just answer that question with a simple answer, every patient 
who is on a preventive also needs a good rescue medication. And so those should be two tools in their in their toolkit. Okay. And if someone is on one of these newer CGRP medications, they can still use a triptan if that works for them, right? Um, like sumatriptan or rizotriptan. There's lots of different triptan types and we know those have been around since you know the 1990s. But what are some things we see with triptans? They can raise blood pressure and um, they can cause these tryptan sensations related to vasoconstriction that happens. And so those aren't always um, a safe option for a patient if they've had a cardiovascular event, if they're an older patient. So if it works for them and it's safe, they can continue. But let's get back to talking about targeting CGRP and some of our newer medications. We have these newer small molecule we call them G-pants um, because they end in Japant. Um, so we have Remigipant and Ubrojipant, which the brands are Nurtec and Ubrelvi. Um, now, it can get a little confusing here, too, because these medications, the G-pants, can actually be used as both preventive and rescue medications. Okay. And so let's say you were on one of the once-a-month injections. You could also use one of these small molecules like Remigipant or Ubergipant as a, as a breakthrough, as a rescue, because these have a smaller, um, a shorter half-life. And so, you know, it's going to last about a day, 8 to 11 hours, depending which brand you're using. And so you could use that as a breakthrough. You could use a, a triptan as, as a, a rescue for a, a breakthrough. Um, Remigipant, that's the brand name Nurtec, that actually has been FDA approved for both rescue and prevention. So some patients will take it every other day as a preventive, and that has been shown to be safe and effective. And we also have a Togepant, uh, which is the brand name Culipta, and that is also a G-pant, um, and that is taken daily. And so you may be thinking, well, how do you decide with a patient a once-a-month injection or an oral medication? And, and that's a great question. And I tell patients, the great news is we have these options to, to choose from. And we still don't understand all the nuance of why, for some people, the injection works better and other people, the oral medication works better. So some of it is patient preference, right? Because right. a patient may say, hey, it's more convenient for me to do an injection once a month. Another patient may say, you know what? I already take this other daily oral medication. It's no big deal for me to take a pill or I'm scared about doing an injection, mm -hmm, I'd rather mm -hmm. do a pill. Um, also getting back to a patient who may be thinking about pregnancy, if they're thinking about getting pregnant in the next six months, I may lean towards an oral medication that's easy to stop right. because it has that short half-life. So it's, it's individualized. Again, that gets back to why this is a, a great area for nurse practitioners to be working in because we already have that skill set of chronic disease management, partnering with the patient, explaining the options, and then together deciding what is going to be the best individualized plan for that patient. Oh, can you share with us a, a, an example, a specific case study, so we can just see how this all applies and how an individualized plan was, was created uh, for a patient? Absolutely. I'll tell you about a case, um, and with that, I'll include um, one other medication option that we didn't get to yet, so we, um, we'll talk through that with this case. So um, the case that I've been thinking about sharing is a, a wonderful patient that I've worked with for uh, quite a few years now, and initially I worked with her specific to migraine when I was working in my specialty clinic, and now that I'm in primary care, I actually get to be 
her provider for her comprehensive care, which is just wonderful. So she's in a nurse, uh, she is a nurse, and when I met her, she was in her early to mid-30s, and she actually was not working because her migraines had become so chronic, and she was having headache and neck pain and migraine symptoms almost every single day. And she was, because of this chronic pain, also feeling very depressed, feeling very overwhelmed. And as I'm talking about this, uh, listeners may be thinking about patients that they've met who are just feeling completely overwhelmed by their situation, and they just don't even know where to begin because they're having a headache every single day. And so with that type of patient, the first visit, I really just try to take extra time and really listen to their story and just try to ask very open-ended questions and say, you know, tell me how this affects your life and tell me what what you're not doing because of your migraines. Um, So again, she was married, uh, but not able to work, and she really missed working as a nurse and and wanted to get back to that. And so something to keep in mind with these types of patients is we just wanna set realistic expectations, just like we do with hypertension or other chronic diseases. This didn't happen overnight, and we can you know, improve your quality of life and we can reduce the number of migraines and the severity of the migraines, but it's going to take some time and I will stick with you and I will partner with you on this journey. So with this specific patient, she had only been offered rescue medications. She had never been offered a preventive medication. And so that first visit after we had gone through her history, uh, really talked through a couple of oral medications, um, and this was, again, a few years ago, so we didn't have all the options we have now. Um, So we started off with trying one um, or two of the older oral medications, Um, and then after that, we moved to using onobotulinum toxin, or Botox is the brand name, and that is a treatment that's FDA-approved for chronic migraines specifically. It's now been FDA-approved for about 13 years and can work very, very well for patients who have chronic migraine. So we started that treatment with her, which is given every 12 weeks as an in-office procedure, and it does take a few treatments to see the full effect, Um, but often patients will start to see some improvement after the first treatment. So for this patient, we did a combination of both preventive and rescue medication, and slowly, you know, over the course of about a year, she started feeling better. Um, She was able to first go back to part-time work, and again, this has been a process of a few years now, But where she's at right now is she's actually working full-time as a nurse, and she just moved into a nurse manager position. Um, And outside of work, she has been able to resume hobbies and activities that she really enjoys, like art and exercise. And she just looks like a completely different person. She just is so, you know, lit up with energy now, and uh, she still uses her rescue medication when she needs to but she's having many crystal clear days and just fully engaged in her life. And she tells me almost every time I see her that, you know, her life is so different now compared to the first time I met her. And it's just a joy to work with those types of patients. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. And and it also gives some insight into how debilitating migraines can be. And now um, in your example, she has her life back um, because of She's on a good treatment program and and seeing you regularly. Well, Laurel, we could probably talk about migraines all day, and you've given so much great information already, but you know, I'm really interested in your story, and it's, I, I love how everything is kind of woven throughout your career, but tell us a little bit more just about your career as an NP. Tell us the story of Laurel and, and a little bit more about your journey. 
Well, thank you, April. Um, I would love to share a little bit about that. Um, and AENP honestly has been a really important part of my story and my journey. So I first uh, finished my master's degree, as I said, and then I did go back for a doctorate degree, so I have a DNP. But before I did that, even when I was a student, I had great professors who really encouraged us to start becoming involved with different professional organizations. And I would love to pass along that tip to any students listening. It's a great time, even if you only have a little bit of time while you're a student to maybe go to a conference or see if there's a local chapter of a professional organization that you can start meeting with because you you never know what kind of opportunities are out there. And so when I was a student, I went to my first AENP conference through a student program that they were doing and, you know, just kind of was open to what opportunities might be out there. And that was when I was also getting interested in working in physical medicine or something along those lines coming out of school. And so I was able to attend some workshops at the conference and learned that there was a mentorship program through AENP. So to give a shout out to Dr. Greg Holm, he for many years ran the orthopedic workshops with AENP and was both a formal and informal mentor to me. So just over the first few years of my career, started uh, working first as an assistant with the workshop, and then I have actually been leading those workshops for the last few years when Greg was ready to take a step back and, and retire from those. So that's kind of been one avenue is just working through AENP as a leader and, and getting um, offered and, and exposed to different you know, committees and opportunities through that. And again, I think you don't know what where the path is going to lead you, but um, kind of just being open to opportunities. Also, this um, kind of another through AENP, but, but closer in Kansas City, uh, Jane Peterson, who is also a fellow with AENP, we met through some local things in Kansas City, and, and she was uh, a key person who encouraged me to go back for my doctorate. But when I first got out of school, a group of us, including Jane, worked together to start a local chapter of a professional organization here in Kansas City. So that was a really neat experience to see how that can come together. And then um, that was in about 2012. And then over the last few years, the state of Kansas decided to go ahead and merge different chapters and all come under our umbrella of our state association. So kind of working under first a local association and getting more leadership opportunities through our national association. I was encouraged to uh, to recently run for our state, state association presidency. So I'm currently the president of CAPEN, which is our Kansas APRN association. And we were thrilled to become the 26th state with full practice authority just this year. So it's been a pretty amazing journey the last few years for our state and and for my opportunities as a leader um, with our APRN groups. It's fun. And congratulations. Congratulations for Kansas. And wow, so you've done so much. I, I, I kind of sitting here thinking, how do you do it all? But you've given back so much to AAMP as well. This podcast today, certainly, but with the workshops and mentoring others and just sharing your wealth of knowledge um, in many different areas. And, and like today in migraine, it's such an important uh, such an important topic and, and so important to share your leadership and you're doing that. I have just thoroughly enjoyed the conversation today and thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience before we close today? Well, thank you for the opportunity. I, I really appreciate it. 
I guess the last thing I would like to share is just a, a couple of final resources, hopefully, that, that listeners okay. can use. Yes. One would be the First Contact Program through the American Headache Society, or AHS. This is a, a totally free program that you can access through their website, and it is geared for primary care providers who are treating patients with headache. And every primary care provider is treating patients with headache because 70% of these patients are seen in the primary care setting. So I would encourage you to look at the webinars and resources under first contact. Um, and then also my DNP project was on self-management of migraine. I finished that in 2019. And my big goal with that project was to create something that could be used long-term for providers and specifically nurse practitioners. And so I created a patient education site, yourmigraintoolkit.com. It's still up and running and it is totally focused on patient education. There's some little animated videos and resources and links to other podcasts that I hope clinicians can find helpful with their patients as well. So, and just again, really appreciate the opportunity to speak about this topic as um, I'm clearly very passionate about it. Yes, and it's been so interesting, and and thank you. Thank you for your time. I know you're seeing patients today, and you fit this in. I just um, have really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you, Laurel. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Evan. Enjoy the conversation. Thank you, April. Thank you for joining us, Laurel, and thank you to all who are listening. If you're interested in learning more about migraine treatment, AANP offers three clinical practice briefs on the topic that members can access at no cost from the Point of Care Tools section of AANP's mobile app and website. You may also be interested in joining one or more of our AANP communities, like the Neurology Specialty Practice Group or the Pain Management Specialty Practice Group, to engage in discussions and exchange new insights with NPs who specialize in these fields. Please subscribe to this podcast, share it with your colleagues, and check back regularly for new episodes. And as always, be kind, be safe, be effective, and be the voice of the nurse practitioner. (laughs) 